You're listening to the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. This is a conversation all about leadership, vision, and joining in God's activity wherever you are. You can follow along with today's episode using the show notes at hopechurchonline.com slash podcast or on your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for tuning in today. We hope you enjoy this episode. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode, episode 38 of the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. Uh, What's crazy about these podcast formats is we have no idea who is tuning in, who is listening, where you're listening from, but regardless of all that, we're really grateful that you would take some time. If you are listening to this in real time, uh, it is November 2nd or around that time of 2020, a crazy, crazy year. Uh, Tomorrow in the United States of America is Election Day. There's a lot going on. You're sitting around listening to a podcast, and so for that, we are really, really grateful. We're excited about the content today. Um, as you saw in the title, we're going to talk about changing in leadership. And uh, to do that, I want to I want to pass the pass the mic, if you will, to the man, the myth, the legend, my mentor, pastor, friend, Pastor Vance Pittman. What's going on, man? Scott, good to good to hang out with you today. Uh, it's a great day, like you said. We're recording this a couple weeks before we're actually releasing it, so. Uh, we're sitting here on a Monday. I'm all excited because the Raiders beat the Chiefs yesterday. I'm excited because tonight the Braves, the Atlanta Braves, my team, for the first time in 19 years are in the NLCS against L.A., hashtag beat L.A., and you are sitting here grieving in sackcloth and ashes because Dak Prescott has broken his ankle yesterday with the Cowboys, although you did get the win. It was um, uh, it was it was pretty ugly. It was it pretty was, ugly. It was when you have to hit a last second field goal to beat the last place 0-5 New York Giants. That's not a good day for you. We're man. in first place right now on November 2nd. I'm not sure where we'll be, but right now at at the great the, uh, the great uh, record of two and three, we are leading our division, which is honestly pitiful. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's a good day. It's a good day. Uh, in Las Vegas, man, things are great. This is why we live here this time of year. The weather's unbelievable. Uh, we get beautiful weather October, November, December. So it's a great time here in Vegas and enjoying life, man. We got a lot to talk about today. But one thing, you, you guys can't see Vance when we do these podcasts. This isn't on YouTube. This is, But if you didn't know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out you right now, Vance. Vance has been now for, I think, about two months doing CrossFit. Now, come on. <laughs> Let's now, go. some people just heard that, and wherever they are right now, they just rolled their eyes, Vince. Yeah. Uh, but some people are like, you know, stoked. Yeah. You, you got a goal. Let, let's let's keep you accountable. You want to be the fittest you've ever been when you turn fifty. I just which turned is... forty nine a couple weeks ago on October the second, and so I told my son, who's a CrossFit trainer, I said, by the time I turn fifty years old, I want to be in the best shape of my adult life. Uh, so now I guess it's on record. Man, when I'm you put it on the internet. But uh, <laughs> I don't know what you mean by you don't get to see Vance because <laughs> even if you could see Vance after two months of CrossFit, it's really not that much different, to be honest with you. That's awesome. Uh, go back a few episodes. Vance actually made fun of CrossFit, and it was a personal goal of mine to get him on the train. And here he is. In November, on actually. the train, built the gym in my garage. <laughs> Let's go! It's, it's rolling. COVID will change you, man. It will. <laughs> it will. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about changing in leadership, uh, man. If you are uh, new to this podcast, you're going to hear something like this all the time. But if you're not new to the podcast, you've heard us talk about it. This idea that leaders are learners. Um, we're 38 episodes in. At some point, and probably every episode, we're talking about books we're reading. We're talking about ways we're developing. Um, that's really leadership. You meet a leader going somewhere, they're going to be leading 
leaders who are constantly changing. Um, and so Vance is somebody who's been, uh, we were just talking about it right before we hit record, uh, over 30 years of pastoral leadership. Obviously, a lot has changed in the world since 1990, um, and a lot has changed in Vance. And so we thought it'd be a cool idea, just as you you might be listening to this as a seasoned leader, a brand new leader, somewhere in the middle, but just to hear from, obviously, if you're tuning into this podcast, somebody that to some level or another you respect as I do, Vance, and just talk about what has changed in his Leadership. So we're going to give you some examples today, but before we kind of kick off the conversation, we want to start with just some foundational truths, so, some things to kind of be a bedrock for us as we as we talk about this idea of changing and leadership. And so, Vance, I'll kind of cue these up, and then you kind of give some some details to it. But the first one is again not new for anyone listening to this podcast, but reality is if you're not changing, you're not growing. Unpack that for us. Yeah, well, that's a true statement, and I think another way I'd say it is this: growth is obviously more than change. But growth can't happen without change. Uh, One of the changes that have happened in my life in the last three years is I'm now two times over a granddad. Uh, My oldest daughter and her husband have given us two amazing grandkids that we love. Grandparenting is awesome. Shout out to all the grandparents that are listening in. But one of the things you know about your grandkids, you don't, you don't, it's not like your children where they're in your house every day. You only see your grandkids, you know, once, twice a week at an event when they come over to the house. And I feel like every time I see Karis or Zion, my two grandkids, they're changing. Something about them has changed. And that's because they're growing. They're growing up as human beings. And a part of growth is change. Uh, Growth, again, is more than change, but it definitely can't happen without some change. And Paul articulated this in the New Testament in Philippians 3 when he said, not that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What are those talking about? Those verses are talking about change. You can't forget what lies behind. You can't reach forward to what lies ahead. You can't press on without implementing some change into your life. Uh, Now, there are some things that don't change. For example, our spiritual DNA, those things that we consider to be the non-negotiables theologically or the mission that God's given us or the values that we have rooted and grounded in Scripture, those things are not going to change. Just like my grandkids, their, their DNA is not changing, but the way their DNA is expressed through them as a human being is changing. So there's some core things about us, our spiritual DNA, if you will, that doesn't change. But what must change is the contextualization of that spiritual DNA being lived out. Uh, our maturity as leaders, the methods with which we implement ministry, the people that we do ministry with as you lead, those things are going to change. So if you're not changing, you're not growing. That's awesome. Um, That's the first foundational truth as we jump into this conversation. Second one, if you're going to move forward, you're going to make mistakes. Unpack the force, Vance. Man, this is one I wish it wasn't a foundational truth, Uh, but after 30 years of doing this, I've made a ton of mistakes, Um, and I find great encouragement in the sport of baseball. We talked about it a minute ago. I I love baseball. I love playing the game of baseball. I love watching the game of baseball. Uh, One one baseball player historically that is somebody that is uh, kind of a hero that I've read about, studied about, 
watch their game on film. Obviously, you don't have to get to see him play live or in person. But Ted Williams is one of the greatest hitters of all time. Ted Williams is the last person to have a, career, a, a season-long batting average over 400. Played for the Boston Red Sox. His career batting average is 344. I don't know anybody who talks baseball who knows anything about baseball, who would argue that Ted Williams is not one of the greatest hitters of all time. And yet seven out of ten times Ted Williams went to the plate, hmm. he got out, uh, which means he made a lot of mistakes. Um, and he's still considered one of the greatest. And the reality is we're all going to make mistakes. And here's what I've learned. Some of the mistakes of my past have made me the leader I am in the present. In the midst of spiritual leadership, we cannot forget ultimately that we serve a redemptive God whose grace is greater than our mistakes, which means His grace and redemption will even redeem the mistakes in our lives, the mistakes in our leadership to to prune us, to shape us, and make us the leaders that He wants us to become. As a matter of fact, some of the things we're about to talk about, I've learned through mm. making mistakes. Uh, but now they're life lessons that I would wrap my heart around. That's awesome. So we wanted to start there just to kind of get this idea on the table. The reality is if you're not changing, you're not growing. And if you're not moving, if you're going to move forward, you're going to make mistakes. And so kind of out of that, what we're, what we're going to do now is Vance is going to talk about six things that have changed in his leadership. Again, this is over 30 years of pastoral ministry. Six things, and there's more, but we just honed in on, on six things that we, we hope and we think are going to encourage you wherever you're leading. So we're going to kind of just work through these over the next 20 minutes or so. Six things that have changed as, as Vance has grown as a leader. So the first one, Scott, and I've written each of these with a statement in such a way that says, this is what I knew when I started, but man, here's what I've learned now. So the first one is, I knew when I began, I knew leadership could be lonely, but I've learned it doesn't have to be done alone. Uh, I particularly grew up in the model of church leadership. I know we have people listening to this that are pastors and ministry leaders. We have a lot of people that listen in that are not pastors and ministry leaders. And this principle is true in, inside the church and outside the church as a Christian. But particularly for me, I grew up in the, the church world. Uh, my dad was a pastor, and then I, I, I surrendered my life to ministry when I was in college and, and started serving in ministry. But I grew up in the model where there was the pastor of the church, and then all the other people who worked at the church were the ministers. So there was one pastor, um, and then there was, for example, my dad would have been the pastor. There would have been a minister of youth and a minister of music and a minister of education. And a, but only one guy was called the pastor. Um, everybody else was simply there as an extension to carry out the, 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 the work of the guy who was the leader. And I'm not saying if you choose to structure it that way, you, you don't have the biblical freedom to do so. What I'm saying is when I started, I just thought, man, I knew I, leadership's lonely. You're all by yourself. And what I've learned is it doesn't have to be done alone. So as I, as I begin to grow as a leader and begin to read the New Testament for myself from a leadership perspective, I begin to see that Jesus never sent the disciples out alone. Uh, the, the, the smallest he ever sent them out was when he sent them out in groups of two. But oftentimes they're grouped larger than that. You see many times Peter, James, and John grouped together as a group of three. But the disciples never went anywhere alone. As you read the New Testament, um, particularly the epistles, you always read a plurality of elders 
elders plural in a church singular, which communicated, again, I'm not saying elder rule is the only way to do church. As a matter of fact, the church that I pastor, the way we function is not with a lay elder model. That's not how we function. So I'm not, I'm not a proponent of that. I'm simply saying in the New Testament model, there was a plurality of pastoral leadership in every individual church. And then when you look at Paul, one of the greatest leaders in the New Testament, Every time you read Paul's name in the New Testament, it's almost fo- always followed by the word and, because Paul never did anything by himself. He was always leading with others alongside him, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Timothy. And, and what I learned is bandwidth really is the same thing as capacity. The more bandwidth you have, the more capacity you have, and as you as you, as you spread leadership out among a team, there are going to be elements of leadership that are always lonely, particularly if you're at the top of the leadership funnel in your organization. Nobody will ever fully grasp and comprehend everything you do or own it like you do. But that doesn't mean others can't help shoulder and share the burden and carry it with you. For example, in the life of our church, um, our first 2,000, 2,500 people um, that, that we grew here at Hope Church. We used a team model, but I was clearly the point leader. I was the one that was that that kind of CEO, if you will. The last thousand to fifteen hundred people that have come in our church, really, honestly, are as much uh, in responsibility or, or as much a response to the leadership of our executive pastor and executive team as they are my individual leadership. And so, what happened is, as I, I began to share leadership and distribute leadership and delegate leadership and help own it with others. It increased our bandwidth, which gave us a capacity that I never could have had on my own. So I knew it could be lonely, but I've learned you do not have to do this alone. You can share it with others, and they can own it with you. That's a great uh, That's a great first learning. And for you, as you're listening to this, maybe you're just gleaning from that, and maybe you're in that season right now where you're doing everything alone and, and, and maybe you need to get some people around you and, and look who God has already placed around you to kind of start developing that team leadership. But um, that's, that's a great place to start, and, and we'll continue on now with the second one, Vance. Yeah, the second one is I knew my position in leadership would change. I learned that my perspective towards leadership will change. And here's what I mean by that. When I started out in ministry, when I started in leadership, I knew I wasn't in the job I was going to have. I knew I was going to go from this seat to this seat, from this seat to this seat, and had an ultimate idea that one day I'd be senior pastor of a church. I didn't know I'd be church planting at that time, but knew I'd be a senior pastor at some point. So I knew my position in leadership was going to change. When I started doing this, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, what I didn't understand is over the course of a a lifetime in leadership, my perspective towards leadership would change. And because nobody ever explained that to me, um, it was, I went through some challenging seasons. Um, Leadership will experience different seasons. And here's what I mean by that. I was sitting uh, last summer, uh, summer of 2019, in Brooklyn, New York, at Brooklyn Tabernacle, uh, pastored by Jim Cimbala. I was there with a group of about six guys, and we were spending uh, a good part of the afternoon, a day, with Pastor Jim, uh, just kind of being poured into by him, spending some time with some friends with the 6-4 Fellowship, Daniel Henderson, And we just had a minute to kind of break away, and there were five or six of us guys sitting in a room by ourselves. And it's ironic, 
five of the six of us were all pastors in our mid-40s, mid to late, I say mid, I was 48, so mid to late (laughs) 40s. Um, But we were all pastoring churches that, to be quite honest, uh, most people would would give something away to be able to have the opportunity to pastor the churches. There were all churches that were large churches, thriving ministries, great reputations, thousands of people. Um, the kind of thing when you start a ministry, you go, man, that's the dream job. We all had those dream jobs. And all five of us were sitting in the room, honestly, ready to quit. We were all discouraged. We were all just didn't feel it anymore. It just something was missing. And there was one guy in the room who was in his mid-50s. And he said, guys, let me tell you what I've learned. And I'm telling you, when he said this, it, 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 it just helped me understand so much of where I was and also helped me understand I wasn't crazy. He said, man, when I went into ministry in my 20s, it was all about a calling. Like it was just God had called me to ministry, and I was shocked when I got a check. Like, you mean you paid me to preach? Like, are you kidding me? I'd do this for nothing. It was a calling. It was a passion. He said, then into my 30s, it became a career. Not that I wasn't devoted to ministry and seeing people's lives change, but it became about the career. It became about uh, salary advancement, career advancement, providing for the family, uh, establishing yourself, planning for retirement. And he said, man, then into my 40s, it just became a job. And he said, guys, let me just tell you, in the decade of your mid-40s to early 50s, and I'm not saying this is for everybody, but he said, he said, guys, don't make any major decisions in that window because you get out of it. And you get to enjoy ministry being the opportunity to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it was ironic because all five of us guys looked at each other and we went, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what it feels like right now. It just feels like a job. And it helped us go. The guy was telling us this. His name's Tim Armstrong. He pastors the chapel in Akron, Ohio. And I've just grown to appreciate him so much. Man of integrity, great leader, learning a lot from him. Um, but it just helped me understand that it's normal that it'll go through some seasons of change. Um, that's going to happen. And if somebody had given me that advice early on, it might have helped me navigate some of the decision-making through those different seasons if I just understood that. So this calling to career, to a job, to being about a real lifetime of investment in ministry, those are going to be some things that you feel as you walk through this. And maybe you're listening to this and you're in your 30s, and right now the leadership, man, it's just about a career. You're just in that, or maybe you're in your 40s and it just feels like a job. Just know that each one of those seasons will come, it'll go. You just have been called to be faithful to what God's called you to, and he'll lead you through each one of those. That's awesome. So moving on to number three, we've actually, we've done, we've done podcasts on these before. If, if you want more info on that, you can go to episode 22. But this is a really good one that that has been a great learning for you over the years, Vance. What is it? Yeah, when, when I started in leadership, I knew I needed work ethic. What I've learned is I also needed rest ethic. I mean, when you hear work ethic, everybody's familiar with that term. You, you measure people based on their work ethic. And when I started in ministry, I kind of had the mentality when I started in leadership that rest was unspiritual. Rest meant you were lazy. And I had a chip on my shoulder that I was going to prove to the world that that pastoral leadership was not for the lazy. I had seen, my dad wasn't really this way, but I'd seen others in pastoral ministry who were just, I didn't see them working hard. It felt like they didn't, 
um, they, they weren't disciplined and uh, always on the golf course, always on the lake fishing. And it just didn't feel like they – and so I just had this chip that I was going to prove to the world that pastors work hard. I wore busyness like a badge of honor. I loved to be able to show you my schedule and show you that I couldn't squeeze anything else in it because I was so busy. And if you've listened to some of our podcasts in the past, you've heard me talk about uh, the collapse that that kind of came out of that. As a matter of fact, I'm actually, uh, Scott, in the process right now of finalizing the manuscript of my next book, which is going to be about the collapse that I experienced in ministry and how that was in, that involves so much stress in my life and how to remove that stress out of your life uh, using principles from Scripture. But it was in it was in that 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 early days of ministry that I built this idea that man you just got to work hard busyness is awesome and it wasn't until years into ministry that I began to learn number one that rest is spiritual rest is not unspiritual as a matter of fact in the gospels Jesus in Mark chapter 6 came to the disciples one day when they gathered to him and he said to them come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while and that's an imperative in the Greek text, meaning this isn't a suggestion Jesus is giving them. He's giving them a command to rest. And here's what, he, here's what it said next. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So here were the disciples so busy. And, man, they were wearing this busyness out. And Jesus said, no, you must come away and rest. Rest is spiritual. Secondly, a lack of rest is unhealthy and unspiritual. It's not just that rest is spiritual. To choose not to rest is unspiritual. As a matter of fact, God in the Ten Commandments tells us to set aside a day of rest. So we're living disobedient lives, and we're not good stewards of the bodies and ministries God's given us if we're not establishing rhythms of rest. And then thirdly, busyness can actually be an obstacle, excuse me, an obstacle to joining in God's activity. Um, it, one of the things I noticed, Scott, one day in reading through the Gospels is that Jesus was never in a hurry. He always had margin. And, and you know that because often in the Gospels, Jesus is what I would consider to be interrupted. And yet what was interruptions to me were invitations of Jesus to join in the Father's activity. And yet so often my schedule is so busy, I, don't, I didn't have time for interruptions. I didn't have time to get invited to join in God's activity. I had to get to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, which led me to establishing white space in my calendar to leave room for God to do things in the day that I needed to respond to. So it was just understanding that I needed to have a rest ethic. I needed to have principles and guidelines and a perspective towards rest in my life if I wanted to be a good steward of the life that God had called me to as a leader. Again, episode 22, um, we basically take that Mark chapter 6 passage and just we give some practical tips on how to how to start. If you're right now going, man, I'm living in the busyness, we give some practical tips on this idea of rest, and it's a biblical mandate. So uh, check out episode 22 if that perked your interest, and we'll keep moving on here. Uh, Vance, number four thing you've learned in leadership. And, Scott, before I say it, I would also just point out, too, um, there's a great book by, uh, I think it's Mark Buchanan, called The Rest of Rest God. Rest of God, yeah. That's a fantastic book for somebody struggling there. And then also uh, the book that's just recently been, relo- uh, been released, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by... John Mark Comer. Yeah. Phenomenal. Both of those, if you're looking for something around that idea of a rest ethic, 
Those will give you biblical worldview to establishing a rest ethic in your life. Absolutely. Number four, and I'm not going to spend much time on this one because actually episode two, we did an entire podcast on this. And but, if you've ever been around Vance Pittman, <laughs> you've heard me for say a good this. reason. Yeah. You've heard him talk about this, but this was a huge learning for you. It was, uh, and I'll say it this way: I haven't ever said it this way before. But when I started in leadership, I knew time alone with Jesus was important. I've learned now that it's everything. Uh, everything in your life as a leader rises and falls on time alone with Jesus. And if you're a Christian, I don't care if you're a pastor, a banker, a teacher. A, contra, a construction worker, if you're in leadership in your field, your ability to lead will only be as great as your intimacy with the Father. Um, because the primary call on my life is not to do something for Jesus. The primary call is to be with Jesus. And everything He desires to do, He does out of the overflow of my time alone with Him. So I knew it was important. I've now learned it's everything. That's awesome. Moving on, number five thing you have learned over the years. Yeah, and this one's really applicable to those in church leadership. Um, but when I began in ministry leadership, I knew God's heart was for all people. I've now learned God's church should reflect his heart for all people. And here's what I mean by that. I, I grew up in the church in the Bible Belt where Pretty much everybody that came to the church I grew up in looked exactly like me. Uh, I'm a white Southern guy, and I grew up in the church where everybody in my church was a white Southern person. Uh, the church down the road would have been an all-black Southern church, and there, or maybe there was a, uh, occasionally a Hispanic church. But churches typically were homogenous when it came to culture. And it's funny because the church I grew up in, even though the church looked like that, our church was very engaged in missions around the world. We were very engaged in God's global activity in places like uh, Europe and Africa and the Middle East. And so we knew God's heart was for all people. We just thought that's what you got on an airplane to go do somewhere else. I've since learned God's heart for the people, for all people, should be reflected in his church. And what I mean by that is every church should be as diverse as its community. I'm not saying that every church has to be like our church in Las Vegas. Our church in Las Vegas, we have 54 languages that we know of represented in our fellowship. Now, that's because we live in a very multi-ethnic city. So our church should be a reflection of our community. If your community is 70, 80, 90 percent one demographic, then your church is going to reflect that. But your church should be at least as diverse as the community you serve in. And before I moved to Las Vegas, this wasn't even on my radar. And I don't know how I missed it, Scott, because when I begin to read the New Testament now, it permeates every aspect of the early church. When the church was launched in the book of Acts in Jerusalem, 12 or 14 language groups on day one, it's the reason that the gift of tongues was used in Acts chapter 2 because they had to get the gospel to all these languages that were there in Jerusalem. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, the first problem in the church, not a theological problem, it's a cultural problem because multiple cultures coming together in the church. In Acts chapter 11, the first church among the Gentiles is a church that once the elders are appointed in Acts 13, the, the pastors of that church are from Asia Minor, Turkey, the Mediterranean, North Africa, and the Middle East. So you have the diversity of the church. As you read through the Pauline letters, almost every one of the Pauline letters is addressing 
cultural and theological problems in the church. Paul has to confront Peter over cultural insensitivity in the church at Galatia. Over and over and over and over again, you see this on the pages of Scripture. And so if I'm speaking to you today and you're in church leadership, here's the question I want to ask you. Does the church or ministry that you're leading look like the community that you're serving? And if it doesn't, you need to ask some hard missiological questions about your engagement of your community with the gospel. Because here's what I know. The gospel is no respecter of persons. If you are taking the gospel to the city, which is the mission and mandate you've been given, the gospel doesn't pick culture over culture. The gospel penetrates all culture. And your church will begin to be, or the ministry you lead, will begin to look like your city if you start there. So I knew God's heart was for all people. I've learned God's church should reflect his heart for all people. And let me just add this, Scott. We're living in the midst of some really tense times in the American context. And much of that tension is about race and culture. And one of the reasons our nation is so broken over race and culture is the church of Jesus Christ sat on the sidelines and did not live out this principle that I'm talking about right now. If we'd been living this out, they could look to us and we as the church could show them what it looks like to live kingdom out in the midst of the chaotic culture that we're living in. So I think this one's really important for leadership today. Absolutely. As we've rounded out today, uh, out of these six things, uh, just a couple minutes left, what's this last one, that, that something that's significant that's changed over the years for you? Well, when I started in leadership, Scott, I knew that I needed conviction. I knew as a leader I needed to be a person of conviction. I needed to have deep-rooted convictions. But I've learned my conviction better be clearly grounded in the authority of Scripture. So I know as Christians, man, we all have some deep-rooted convictions. But let me say this as, as simply as I know how. Don't allow your passionate certainty to go beyond biblical clarity. Oftentimes, we get really passionately convicted about certain things where the Bible is not as clear and specific. When we do that, we always paint ourselves into a corner that we cannot defend. Mm. There were a lot of things that I held as deep-rooted convictions that were more the culture of Christianity that I grew up in than it was the Bible Christianity that I'd been called to. And you need to make sure that the convictions that you hold are rooted in Scripture and not in the culture of Christianity that you've grown up in. And all of us have to do that. We have to try to read the Scripture with fresh eyes um, and be able to see it for what it says. Because when we don't, we, we paint ourselves in these corners that aren't defensible, particularly for me moving to a place like Las Vegas People would ask me questions out here, and my pat answers that I'd always given in the Bible Belt, the people just were like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. They didn't accept that. And I had to go back and say, well, what does the Bible say? When I'd go back to the Bible, I'd find out, wow, the Bible didn't really say that. I just kind of imposed that onto the Bible. Um, so one of the things we teach here at Hope in our um, base-level leadership for anybody that's going to lead anything at Hope Church is we teach something called the Rings of Truth. And it's some concentric circles, the middle of which is called non-negotiable truth, meaning this is not up for debate. The, the, the deity of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, uh, salvation by grace through faith. These things are the, the Bible being an error, not up for debate, clearly stated in Scripture. 
Then there's a ring called negotiable truth. It's true, but we can debate. End-time prophecy, spiritual gifts. Those are truths, but we can. there's some charity, some, some grace we mm-hmm. can give each other. Then there's the ring that we call convictions. These are my convictions based on the truth. Convictions, for example, uh, I, I grew up in the Bible Belt where we were taught as Christians— Rated R movies, never went to see a rated R movie. Unless it's The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> well, I was going to say, until The Passion of the Christ came out. Messed everything up, But man. that's the point. You painted yourself in a corner that's not defensible. Um, so th- there's some convictions that we establish based on Scripture, but you can't chapter and verse, thou shalt not play cards. Mm. Thou shalt not go to rated R movies. It's not in there. So those are convictions based on the truth. Then there's a fourth ring called preferences. Honestly, these have nothing to do with truth. But, man, where I come from, they're majored on. What do you wear? What time does it start? What instruments can you have? What kind of music do you sing? The Bible doesn't say anything about that. And here's what I've learned 30 years of ministry. I better be sure that if I'm passionately certain of this conviction, it is rooted and grounded in biblical certainty and clarity. And if it's not, I need to have a lot more grace and charity in those areas. So as you've seen, these two foundational truths that we started with are important in this conversation. If you're not changing, you're not growing. If you're, not, if you're going to move forward, you're going to make mistakes. And Vance has just kind of painted very quickly for us six ways um, that he's changed over the 30 years of ministry. And, and as we end today, I, I wrote this down as he was talking. Um, it, maybe if you're listening to this right now, maybe you're driving, maybe you're at your desk, wherever you might be, take 10 minutes. And if you've never thought about it for yourself, what are a few things that have changed? And here's the challenge. If, if you are sitting there and you come up with nothing, I would challenge you to really look at the, your growth as a leader. Again, we just chose six. There's, there's many things that we could, we could wax eloquent on for a while on other ways that have changed. And my leadership, Vance's leadership, if, if you're looking over years of ministry and you're like, man, nothing, nothing's really changed, um, I, I would challenge you to, to see if you're, if you're growing, to see if there's movement and you're going forward in your leadership. Vance, what would you kind of say to that as we, as we finish up? Yeah, I would just give you a couple of things to be able to help you implement some of this. And one would be, um, expo- like you're, you're listening to this podcast, to try to expose yourself to some different leadership principles. That's part of evaluating this in your own life. So find some leaders that do what you do. A lot of people that are listening to this are pastors, ministry leaders. So we're talking your language. Maybe you're leading in another arena, another area. You're a Christian. Find another Christian who's leading in somewhat the same area you are. Take them to lunch. Get you a list of 10 questions and ask them the 10 questions. Find you two or three of those people. Ask them the same 10 questions. And then use that as as a comparison in your own life. The second thing I would say is find people who are writing books who are leading in your area and learn from them. So learning from other leaders and reading other leaders are two ways that some of the changes that have been implemented in my life have happened is by those two practices. Awesome. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us for November's episode, episode 38. We'll be back when it starts to look like Christmas next month for the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. Thanks again for joining us for the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. You can find all the show notes on your favorite podcasting app or at hopechurchonline.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. We will be releasing a new episode on the first Monday of every month to help you and your teams lead like never before.